pray together. Father, we, uh, we love you, we bless you, and we pray that, that our lips would not be saying something, that our heart doesn't mean that we love you from the inside out, that our lips only repeat what your spirit has done in us, and that we do not lie with our mouths. Father, we love you. Our hearts cry out, and we long to be near you. We long to be like you. We long to be like Jesus. So, Father, as we look to you tonight, as we look to your word, as we look to your story, Speak to our hearts and make us more like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're in Exodus still. And I encourage you to hop open with your Bibles to Exodus 16 as we jump into God's word in this continuing narrative of Moses and what's going on as they have now left captivity. And um, at this point, we're at the one month mark. It's been one month since they had left Egypt. One month since the blood had been splashed across the doorpost. One month since they had witnessed the amazing miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. But their journey was far from over. It was actually just beginning as was their understanding of who God really is. You know, you, you forget an awful lot in a month. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you do. I, I certainly do. Um, you can remember things incorrectly in a month. I, I, I know that I can forget things just if I'm on my way to the store and I don't take a list with me. Anybody there? You know what I'm talking about? And it's almost like getting to the store erases my brain. You know, if I don't have the list and, you know, cell phones, the marvel of that, and now the list can just come straight to us through our wife, boom, right there, and that's fantastic. But, you know, if that's not happening and I've gone there and I've gone there for for just a few items, but one or two of them are critically important for the Riggins family to exist another week. And then you go into like Walmart or Target or even worse, Lowe's, and there are just options And then all of a sudden, it's like that store just erases my brain. I think that um, kids do that as well. They erase our brain. Um, You think you're going to remember what it was like to live life without them, but you don't. Uh, Some of you maybe who are are, uh, in the audience and you, you haven't had children yet, you're considering, or you know young couples who are considering having children, they're not quite there yet, and you're thinking, I'll always remember this moment the way that it is. You won't. You won't. You'll have kids and you'll, you'll, you, can't, you cannot begin to fathom or understand what it was you did with all that free time, with all those extra hours and those extra days. I mean, it's just kids. They just erase our brain. Kids do that. The past is a tricky thing. Sometimes we recall things in a much more glorious and glamorous way, don't we? I remember leaving a job once and having a uh, conversation with another former coworker who uh, also used to work at that location. And uh, what I remember about that particular person was that they were incredibly positive, amazing attitude, hard worker. I mean, just really, really, really loved life. But as we started talking about the time spent there, they started to speak of it in really, really positive, great, wonderful ways. And I'm like, somebody erased your brain. You didn't like it. You thought it was awful. 
It's funny what time does. So the Israelites are hungry and they're grumbling. Their food supply that they had packed in and started traveling across the desert with had now become depleted. And they approach Moses and Aaron, much in the same way that that clip portrayed. And uh, they uh, say, listen, here's the deal. Verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Randy translation. We loved it up in there, Moses. What were you thinking? It was like golden corral every day. And now you've brought us to this moment. We had the buffet and we ate and we ate and we ate. And now we're even starting to question your motives. You brought us out here just to kill us, didn't you? Brains erased about what had been. You know, sin does that. Ron Holton, our senior founding pastor, has a statement that is credited to him that that he says from time to time, right? And it's what? It's sin makes you stupid. Yeah. And so in their grumbling against the leaders that had been set before them, they in their sin became stupid. They're not remembering correctly. And as they wander around the desert, I wonder if possibly we can start to draw some correlation, some similarities between our two journeys. I believe as we come to the first three verses of chapter 16, we find that first, we are both inclined to choose the cost of slavery over the cost of freedom. It doesn't make a lot of sense that we do this, but we do. Remember way back in chapter 3, and God is describing to Moses the plight of the people. And here's what God says to Moses, okay? I mean, this is like before the actual exodus occurs. And here's what God is saying to Moses about the people. He says, quote, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard the crying out. Chapter 1 describes their condition as having been worked ruthlessly, that their lives, quote, had been made bitter. Chapter 2 says that they were, quote, groaning in their slavery and crying out. And what did God do? He rescued. He heard and he rescued. And now they encounter a challenge. And instead of going to God with their needs, they grumble. And what they choose to do is believe that surely even slavery must have been better than this. Opposition, struggle, challenge. But God, when I started following you, what they told me was that everything was going to be better. But God, when I started following you, what they told me was that you were going to answer all my prayers. And some of you may have come to Christ and that was far from what you were told. And you were told correctly what the word of God says. That in this world we will have trouble, but be of good cheer for he has overcome. And yet there are some who were not told that. I'm reading a book right now by David Platt entitled Counterculture. I would encourage you to pick it up. I was reading it on the plane 
while we were traveling to and from Cuba, and it speaks to some of the most challenging social issues that are facing the church and Christianity today. In the book, he writes this. Jesus promised this, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, John fifteen twenty. When you ask how the world responded to Jesus, the answer you come to is a cruel, bloody cross. It would be utter foolishness, then, for followers of this same Christ in this same world to believe that their fate will be any different. To be certain, most Christians won't literally be crucified. And to be clear, no Christian should intentionally pursue persecution. We don't ask for a cultural fight, but we do anticipate that the more we ground our lives, here we go, you ready? The more we ground our lives, our families, and our churches in God's word, the more we will distance ourselves from the culture in which we live, and the harder it will become for us in this world. And as I read that, I just thought, you know, do we really believe that? Do we believe that the more grounded we become, in this word, we really will become more distanced from our culture, even in the United States of America. Yes, Jesus is my friend, but he is also my example to live out truth in this world, in our country, is beginning to cost more and more. And the challenges are real, and maybe the challenges are not that great for you, They are for some. And I'm not sure that they will necessarily mean wondering where our next meal will come from or if imprisonment is right around the corner. But what if that were to occur? Would those challenges and battles be what stops us or would we persevere through regardless to follow him? Pancho a youth leader, imprisoned in Cuba for getting money to people in need there after Hurricane Ike. His church, getting money to people in need in his area, and Pancho is thrown in prison. As we sat last week at our leadership connection time and he was sharing that story with us, um, I was reminded about how incredibly amazing Pancho's life is. Because to me, he is such an inspiration. Not so much that he would do that. That's very powerful, right? I mean, and palatable. I mean, it's just hard for us to even grasp that giving to somebody would result in me being thrown in. And the the government said, well, here's the reason why. The reason why is because that money came from it came, from, it came from dissidents. And so therefore we, and they began to, to, to throw out lies to his family and to his friends about Pancho, about what he was involved in, about the people that he was connected to. People wouldn't believe it. The people who were closest to Pancho knew that's not who Pancho is. The government can't be telling us the truth. What they were really doing was just making a real point to say, listen, don't embarrass us. Our government We'll take care of everybody. The church needs to stay. And then a statement was made to Pancho while he was in prison. The government will take care of the people. The church takes care of what's inside the church. You see, let's just make sure that everything stays right in these four walls. Let's make sure that everything is real tight and in this little box, you see. 
Not, it shouldn't impact anything out there. It shouldn't impact my life outside of this location. And that's all fine and good, as long as it stays right here. Well, what happens to Pancho is eventually he's released. His family and friends reunite with him. He continues the work of leading youth in the country, and we were in this training time with him, and I felt he really should have been training me, especially whenever he prayed this prayer as we were about to leave. He prayed, Dear God, we are praying that you help us reach this country, and we are also praying and dreaming of what it will take for us to reach other countries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man who will never leave his country is interceding before the Heavenly Father with a big vision. With his life, he has counted the cost and the mission is worth it. Jesus is worth everything. Everything. Exodus 16, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law. And, um, let's see, or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Verse 10, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm gonna take care of you. Just trust me, I'm going I'm to do it. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Much like that whatchamacallit chocolate bar. What is it? That's what manna is. It was called, what is it? That's the word. Manna from heaven, quail for dinner, God provided. But wouldn't it have been better if he had provided for their needs, the miracle occurring without the whining? Is it ever better in your house to provide for your kids just because of their amazing gratefulness for you as parents, as mommy and daddy, and the honor and love and respect that they give? Or is it better to give to them after they've just whined and whined? You know, I think we see that in a relationship with our own children. And certainly God's going, ah, you know, I wish this were so different. But you know what? I know your response is not 
worthy of what I'm about to do, but I am a gracious God. Grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. We are inclined to do what? We are inclined to choose our common sense instead of God's wisdom. God gives them a test. He says, listen, can my people be trusted to obey what I'm about to do whenever we get those tablets to them on Mount Sinai? Because there's going to be a, there's going to be a list there. There are going to be some commandments there. And this is kind of the precursor. And I'm starting to give them some, some instruction. And I'm giving them this pretest here to see if they're going to listen to my voice and follow me. And as a whole, the people pretty much got a B minus on the pretest. Because many of them followed exactly what God had instructed them to do. But there were some who chose to ignore God's command and attempt to save some for later. But God wasn't teaching a Dave Ramsey lesson for them that day. It wasn't about making sure that they had this larger principle in place for saving and multiplying and investing in their life. In that moment, he was interested in teaching them to trust him for that day, period. That he would give them what they needed for that day. You know, Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 6, didn't he? He said, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Just seek the kingdom Today, right now, God knows our inclination. And what are we inclined to do? We are inclined to, to, to borrow worry from tomorrow and then pay interest on it today. Have you ever heard God tell you to do something that really just contradicted your common sense? You would go, this doesn't make sense to me, God, that you would have me do this. And God is saying, well, no, actually, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and eat it all up. And you're going, no, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. What I should do is save some because I've got this extra and I'm going to stuff it in this bag over here. And in our life, it's so easy for us to discount what doesn't really make sense. Because we're practical, because we're rational, because it's raining again. Happy day. Oh, smell. Another youth leader that I met this last week. We met him last year as well when we were training there. He's a microbiologist. And here's what Cuba told Osmel. He said, listen, you've kind of, they didn't say this, but in essence, what Osmel did was he pretty much won the lottery. Okay. It's the Cuban lottery. Here's what happens. You get really smart in a particular field or occupation. And here's what Cuba does. They say, you know what? You're at the top of your class. And so we're going to take some of you from the very top of the class and we're going to export you to other countries. All right. And we're going to make money off of you. As a matter of fact, doctors are one of the largest exports and has been for decades in Cuba as they send them all around the globe and make money off of them while they're working in other countries. And so that's what they offered Osmel. They said, listen, you're at the top of your game as a microbiologist, and we're going to pay you big money, all right, while we're receiving even bigger money from the country that we're going to send you to. And then when you come back, we're going to give you a great government job, make sure all of your needs are met, and we're going to make sure that you are completely taken care for. Here is the golden ticket, Osmel. And as they're offering him this, that so few get in that country, God is also whispering in his ear. And God is saying to Osmel, I want you to lead these students to Christ. I want you to teach these youth about the Jesus that you know. 
I want you to follow me in this country. Don't leave even for a month or a year or five or 10. I want you to stay right here. And you know what Osmel did? He had the challenge. Common sense. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to tuck it away as best I can. I'm going to come back. I'm going to have all my needs met or... God says, no, here's what I want you to do. This is not, this doesn't this is, make sense, okay? I get it, but I want you to reject the golden ticket and I want you to follow my plans. Osmel rejected the ticket and he stayed. And right now God is using him. He's using Osmel's wife to do huge things in that country as students are finding Jesus. I think about Osmel and I wonder, what is it? What is it that God is calling us to consume right now? To say, you know what? Yeah, the miracle bread, I'm just gonna consume it and trust you, God. And it doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna follow you anyway. And my guess is the answers that start to come for us are typically in one word initially, one word sentences like go, serve, give, change, move. They might be one word sentences, but God starts to flesh them out in our spirit. And over time, they begin to have eternal consequences. And we have excuses that follow, but I don't have time to, but I don't have the money to, but I don't have the words to, but I don't have the ability to, but I don't have the family connections to, but I, but I, 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 I want to finish what I'm doing right now, but I don't, I don't think my family's really going to understand, but I don't know the right people. And God is saying, consume the manna and trust me for tomorrow. Trust me with the big picture. Moving on, verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over a lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. See, okay, it doesn't make sense that you would say that, God. So you know what? Here, here's what we're going to do. It's been happening the last six days. I know what you said, but I'm going to go do this instead. And so they go to the field, and what do they find? Nothing. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Another similarity that we have with the Israelites is that we are inclined to rush through the week instead of rest with him. I say we, all of us are inclined to do that, you know. On the sixth day, they were to collect for both the sixth and the seventh day. It was, it was a command that was really nudged in between what? Well, if you go to Genesis, you find this creation account where God rested. And then if you go 
over into Exodus chapter 20, you find the commandments given. And in the fourth commandment, it says what? It talks about the Sabbath. And so wedged in between those moments is this moment right here. Again, he's preparing his people. He's setting them up. He's saying, listen, I want you to get ready. This is, this is where I'm headed here. I want you to understand this whole concept of rest. It's actually in the character of who God is. God is saying, I, I want you to relax, to chill. Use a day, use some time, use a moment to remember all that I've done this week. Reflect, restore, allow my spirit to revive in you what you need to continue on in the next seven days. But we rush. We rush from one thing to the next. We rush to church. I've been responsible before, not as much, obviously, as my wife because of teaching responsibilities or prep or whatever, being on staff at a church. But I've been responsible for bringing kids to the church before. And, you know, they've been in different shoes. I've rushed out the door and there has been a child with no shoes. And it wasn't even barefoot weekend. And we rush, and we, and, and we rush through a service like this. I can rush through a service like this. We can think about what it is that we're going to eat in a minute. I can do that, even as I'm preaching, and I'm rushing through in my brain to get to what the next week, where we rush through that week, and we allow our schedule to dictate the week instead of relationships. And God knew, he knows that's our inclination. And so he set it up all the way in Genesis in the creation account and included this moment of passage right here. And then also in Exodus chapter 20 to within the first chapter, uh, first book and a half of the Bible to remind us, listen, make sure that you take time to rest. The challenge for us this week is to blow through that inclination of rush and choose to rest. Last two, quickly, we're almost done. Exodus chapter 16. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, this food. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let no more of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on in the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Here we go again. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And chapter 17 begins the same way 16 did. Their brains have been erased. They forgot who God is and how he has provided. And what they were inclined to do is the same thing we are inclined to do. And that's focus on the problem instead of his faithfulness. What if it had looked like this? What if they had said, faithful God, You know our needs before we even speak them. Help us, God. Deliver us. We are thirsty. We know you have all the resources to meet our needs. We are thirsty, God. Nope. This is what happened. Moses, give us a drink. You brought us here to kill us. How do we combat that? Thankful hearts. Gratefulness. 
an ongoing list in our mind of all that God has done. For some of us, it's been four months since Thanksgiving. For others of us, it was this morning. It was three minutes ago when we just rested. Exodus 17, 4, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. It seems rational, right? This makes sense. I mean, here's Moses. He's, he's the leader. But you know what? This attitude of regression in Moses, if you go back to 15, which we didn't cover today, he is singing this song of praise to God about how great God is. And in chapter 16, he actually is re- relaying to the people for God. He is in the moment. He is with God. He and God are like this, all right? They are going for it. But you get to 17, and now Moses has regressed to the point that he is focused as the leader at the real and very present danger at hand, his own life, instead of his omnipotent God. Was it common in that day for people to overthrow a leader? Absolutely. And the last step in the legal rejection of the leader was, you know what? Taking a vote. Nope. The last step was stoning them. And he knew they were right at that cusp. But Moses chose to focus on the threat instead of the almighty God. Did God hear Moses? Yes. Did God rescue Moses? Yes. Did his attitude or the people's attitude deserve God's response? Nope. And for all of us in the room, we go, thank you. (laughs) Because I need that response from God too. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So God provided in the midst of their grumbling. But I wonder what the story could have been. We know the story. We know what happened. We know they wandered around for 40 years. We know that most of them, and we know that Joshua wound up, but you know, most of them, the vast majority, they did not get to enter the promised land. We know in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, here's what Here's what this writer says. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It was their disobedience and their unbelief not tied to a single moment, but over the entire span of them being led by Moses. And it started at the beginning. And God gave them grace and mercy, and he taught them so very much about himself. Yes, yes, yes. But what could have been? What could have been? Is it possible that they just might have been able to walk into the promised land? And experience who God was. We'll never know. 
And so what's our take home for tonight? You know, Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why did I read that passage? Because you know what God wants us to do? To stay so very close to him. To rest in him. Not just once a week, but to daily do that, to find time to do that, so that what happens is we really do have access to all that he wants to give us in this life because he knows our inclinations. He knows that we are inclined to choose slavery of the past and make choices from our own common sense. He knows that we're inclined to rush and to focus on the problems and the threats to our plans. But he says, I got a better plan for you. I got a better plan. And my plan is for you to stay so very tied to me while you're on this journey that you experience freedom and wisdom and rest and faithfulness and power. And it comes out of God because that's who he is. And he says, you have access to it. My child, you have access to it. Did you walk in it this week? Was it a part of you this week? Because you already have access to it. If you are my child, if you have been adopted into this family, it is yours. And if you remain in me, it's there. Father, help us live out the big plans that you have for us. God, may they be lived out because we walk in your freedom. God, that everyone in this auditorium walks away from tonight having that desire for your wisdom. And the comfort they found, if only for a minute, in your rest. God, thanks for reminding us tonight that you are faithful. And that you are all-powerful. Larger than any threat that comes upon us. Upon our families. Upon our children. And so God, tonight. Although we may have come in feeling exhausted and weak and faithless. Feeling like our choices have been wrong from left to right this week. But God, thanks for reminding us that you are all we need. And you made that abundantly clear at the cross. gave your one and only son for us. That he became all we needed to have that connection, to remain, to abide in you. So God, with that in our minds, we are thankful and we come in this time of communion 
to receive you. We come in this final moment of worship to give because God, it's with full hearts that we just want to express to you our praise for who you are. Thank you.